Always blessed by Steve's reading of the word. Amen? We like to have fun here, but I tell you, sometimes, and I think we can probably all relate to this, when people come to church, they don't feel like they matter much. It's like if they weren't there, maybe uh, nobody would miss them at all. Or maybe uh, not even God cares much about them, and sometimes God seems very distant. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. Certainly a lot of people that you know have felt that or feel that now. But brothers and sisters and friends, I want to tell you today that where God has brought us today in his word, may that never be true in your life again. Just meditate on the weight of those words. Could that never be true about you again? God is going to speak to us today from his word that very message. God is going to tell us today just how much we mean to him and how much we mean to each other, and how much he wants to be with you. Let me just say that again. He wants to be with you, to dwell with you, and how much he wants you to be with him. Today in Exodus, we hear all of this from God in his word about the tabernacle. Raise your hands if you need sermon notes or a Bible, and Chris is there to give them to you. We're going to cover seven chapters today. Turn to Exodus chapter 25. The Bible goes into very much detail about the building of the tabernacle, and you're going to learn a lot about it. I know I did this week in the preparation for it, but I would just encourage you, it would be nice to have your Bible open on your lap to go through that much scripture. Chapters 25 through 31, it's very easy if you don't know where Exodus is, it's very easy to find. If you have a Bible, it's the second book of the Bible right after Genesis. Just flip a few more pages to chapter 25. And there, if you start flipping around over these chapters, you'll see a lot of instruction. So let me give a little bit of context here as we begin this amazing message from God. God's design of the tabernacle in the desert near Mount Sinai shows intricately and beautifully again that God wants to be with you and wants you to be with him. So let's go ahead and say this out loud so you know for sure. Repeat this after me. God wants to dwell with me. Now say this, and God wants me to dwell with him. Very good. And so he gives his people the ways to do that very thing today, the way to worship him. As a quick review where we've been, if this is your first time here, in the first 24 chapters of Exodus, we've seen four major movements in the book. The first is God's chosen nation is slave, they're captive and, and, and slaves in Egypt. And he shows his sovereignty and his love and his power and his hatred of idols and false gods and he releases them, sets them free from Egypt. Then next he leads them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai for all of the amazing things that happen in Mount Sinai. And all along the way he cared for them and he taught them a lot in the process going through the wilderness. And then third, God gave them the law. And we saw, this is a holy God. He sets the terms. But we saw that we need to love God's law. To love God's law. And now the fourth major movement is Moses disappears on the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days. And the people are wondering, where's our leader? What do we do? Well, now we get a glimpse today what God told Moses in those, four, in those 40 days on top of the mountain. Here's where we enter the story today, building a tabernacle. God gives 
holy instructions, very detailed instructions to Moses on building a tabernacle. So let's ask some questions that are natural here. What is a tabernacle? It's a tent. It's a very special tent. In fact, I have a model of a tabernacle right here. Our small group put this together last spring. We did a little study on the tabernacle. I'm going to put this right here. And I'm going to encourage you afterwards to come right up and see a model of what we're going to talk about today, if you'd like to. It's a really nice uh, model. It was a lot of fun to put together as a small group. Why a tabernacle is the next question. Why a tent? The answer is so that God, a holy God, can be with his people, a sinful people. This enabled that, what God wanted, to be with his people and for us to be with him. So let's look at the text. All this begins with a certain kind of worship that makes it all possible. And that is point number one on your notes. Worship God through giving. Now, Reg, in such a special personal message, are you sure you want to start with the point on giving? You might be asking. Uh, well, yes, because the text starts there. So that's where we're going to start. And know this about giving. The, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's the love of money, not money itself. The money and the possessions themselves are a good tool to do great things in the world. And at best, it provides one of the greatest acts of worship. And we're going to see that. All of the rest of acts of worship that we'll look at today um, are made possible because of this first one. So let's talk about giving as an act of worship. That's how verses 1 and 2 of chapter 25 begin. The Lord said to Moses, here we are on the top of the mountain. We're, we get firsthand knowledge of what God said to Moses. And here's what he said first. Speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution. Now listen to this. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. So notice right here at the outset something different about the command to give that we see here. Usually God's laws, his commands are for everybody. It's God, right? And he's commanding us to do certain things. But notice what's different about this one. Giving is an act of worship. Given to the extent of our heart for God. He calls us to do it, but he wants our hearts more than he cares about money. But that giving makes everything else possible. So he gives a long list of things to give that's going to make everything else he says possible. And then we come to verses 8 and 9, where he tells Moses, And let them make me a sanctuary, a holy place, a place that I may, here's the purpose of this, he says it right here at the outset, that I may dwell in their midst. Don't, don't miss the, the magnificence of this. The importance of this to your life and mine. God wants to dwell in our midst. Now look at verse 9. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Exactly how I tell you, Moses. And we're going to see why for the rest of our time together. Why they need to make it exactly as God directs. So God promised all along, ever since they were in Egypt, to free them and protect them and provide for them, lead them and not leave them empty-handed. And God fulfilled all of those promises, and now he says, 
Now is your opportunity to give back a portion of what you have to me. So I have your heart where your heart is, there your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And we give. We give to his work. We give to him. We give to the work of the church. And the church must be wholly honorable with every bit of it. That's how this works. To glorify God and to further his great things in the world, including sending missionaries to the Middle East, for instance, and a whole lot of other things. So it starts with giving. Let your giving match your heart for God. Now let's see what God is going to do with everything that is given. The building of a place where sinful people can be in the presence of a holy God. This is an awesome thing. So point number two is worship God in his presence. He's going to give us his presence. And here's how he does it, and here's how we can worship God through it. The tabernacle's features. I know you can't see this from here, so you know what I did? I took pictures. They're going to be on the screen. What do, you, what do you see if you have your sermon notes in front of you? You see 10 tabernacle features, and we're going to go through these. Uh, they span five chapters. I can't read all of these incredibly detailed sections in the chapters. And so I'm going to draw out highlights for us today. You might even say that we're going to take a slow jog through these chapters. We've seen this before recently, haven't we? Okay, slow jog once again through 10 amazing tabernacle elements. And we're going to see that God designed each one of them perfectly. And we're going to see that each feature teaches a different aspect about worshiping God. And we're going to see that all of them point to Christ. You ready? Let's, let's get in. The first one is the Ark of the Covenant, which teaches God's presence is majestic. The Ark is the first item mentioned. It is the most important. It is the only thing placed in the innermost room, the Holy of Holies. Again, there, here's a picture. Uh, no, here's actually the text. Let me just draw out highlights of chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. Okay, God says to Moses, They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length. You shall overlay it with pure gold, and you shall put into the ark of the testimony that I, uh, the testimony that I shall give you. He tells them what to put in it later. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat, this is for the top of it, of pure gold. And you shall make two cherubim, angels of gold. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. There, listen to what he says, there I will meet you and I will speak with you about all I, I will give you in the commandment for the people. He wants to meet with us. Here's where it begins. Here's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, kind of an artist's sketch on the right, and a picture inside the Holy of Holies in the model on the left. The angels are bowing. You've seen pictures of this, or at least Harrison Ford movies. Um, he said the angels are bowing under God. They're under God, and then they're protecting everything that's under them. This is a holy, holy thing. Here's how it points to Christ. If you're taking notes, these aren't going to be on the screen. You just have to put them in your own words if you're writing. Or you could just sit back and over these 10 features that all point to Christ, just soak them all in and say, Jesus is amazing. So in the ark, God's presence is majestic and it is ours. God's presence is ours because of Christ. Hebrews 9.24 identifies this. 
Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The mercy seat, which overlays, which sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant, shows that Jesus is our propitiation. There's a big word. That's a fun word. You need to know that word. You know why? Because it's really important. Propitiation is that Jesus turned away the wrath of God on your sin. Is that important? The wrath of God is in its fullness on our sin until Jesus and only Jesus takes it away. That's called propitiation. Now that's an important word, isn't it? Jesus, the mercy seat is God's propitiation in the Old Testament. It's the way that we can, they could have God's mercy. Now look what Jesus did. 1 John 2, 2. Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins. He's the mercy seat. Not only for ours, but for all the sins of the whole world, every, all who will believe in the whole world. He's that powerful. That's Jesus, and we're just getting started. But praise Jesus already. Okay, we're going to keep jogging. That brings us to verse 23 and the next feature of the tabernacle through which God says, I want you. I want to be with you. He says this. Here's the second feature. The table for the showbread. God's presence through provision. It's the element of worship here to know, to, to, to grab onto. Chapter 25, verses 23 through 30 you shall make a table of acacia wood. You shall overlay it with pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Here's pictures again. An artist's rendition and from our model. And you see where it is. Let's talk about it. The word showbread means, means bread of, what did you say? Presence, very good. You have to understand that God wants to be with you. This is his presence. And so here's the provision. He gives bread, and there's 12 loaves. The 12 loaves represent all 12 of the tribes of Israel, proclaiming that his provision and his presence is for everyone. You get that? Not just for any special group, everyone. 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 Jesus is our provision. This is how it points to Christ, points to Jesus. He is our bread from heaven. We see this in a variety of places in the New Testament. Here's one, John 6, 31 and 32. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. That's himself. We are totally provided for in Jesus Worship God, his presence, through provision. The next feature is the golden lampstand. God's presence through light. We're seeing the whole Bible unfolding. Light. Verse 31, God says to Moses, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be hammered work, its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, its Flowers shall be of one piece of gold. Here's a picture. This is the menorah. It's the first symbol of the Jewish people. Okay, this is the first symbol of the Jewish people. And even today, it remains as the state of Israel's coat of arms. 
And did you notice, unlike the other items that were covered in gold, this one was hammered out of pure gold to be bright, a bright light, pure. And seven lamps in this menorah. The central lamp represents the Sabbath, and the other six represent the other six days. And it's, the function is to provide constant light. It's supposed to be lit for 24-7. It provides constant light to point the way to God's presence. That's what verse 37 says. To point the way to God's presence. The light's always on with God. Here's how it points to Christ. Who is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. Over and over, the Bible says this too. John 1, 4 and 5 says, In him was life, that's Jesus, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then remember what Jesus told us, his church. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm God's light. Now you, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The golden lampstand pointed to God's presence and to Jesus all along and then to his mission for us to carry that light into the world. It's the meaning of the tabernacle. We continue in chapter 26 that this chapter is entirely about the tabernacle structure. We're talking about building plans now and this shows us God's presence among his people. Verse 1 of chapter 26 says, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with, and I'm just going to stop right there because if you have the chapter open, you see there's a lot of instructions. Here's a picture. See how it's central in the camp. You see the outer court. You see the, the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle, that tent of meeting. If you scan chapter 26, you see all kinds of instructions, the materials needed, the construction plans. Each one has significance, and that's a much longer study than we have time for today, but I encourage you to study them because it just gets more and more incredibly awesome. Today, slow jog. But note just a few things here. First, everything is designed, this is noteworthy, everything is designed to be contained and to shut people out except for the way in that God prescribes. And he gives one way in. He gives one way to the Father. The same is true today. What is the one way to the Father? Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All are welcome. With no prejudice. But there's only one way in. Because God is God. How can sinful humans be made pure and to dwell with God? John 1.14 shows us even more again how Jesus brings the holy God and sinners close together today in the presence. And this is where our sermon title today is from. He tabernacled among us. John 1.14 is a classic Christmas text. And the word, Jesus, became flesh. That's Christmas. Merry Christmas in July, everybody. I love it. It's the incarnation. He put on flesh. The word became flesh. And then, what's the next word? And dwelt. Do you know that's literally the word tabernacled? He put on this tent of skin. Paul talks about, the writer of Hebrews talks about, John says it right here. 
he tabernacled among us. Now, the people are going to understand that because they've been worshiping God in the tabernacle for 1,400 years by that point. Jesus, God, tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, watch what God reveals further in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 5. They served a copy and a shadow of heavenly things, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God. He's referring to this moment in Exodus on the top of the mountain. He was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the, mount, on the mountain. Now, do you want to know why it was so important for Moses to get this? You can say, Moses, listen to me now. Everything according to the pattern. You know, want, want to know why that's so important? You ready for your mind to be blown? Because of this. Because when you trace the outline of the arrangement of the furnishings in the tabernacle, it's in the shape of a cross. Now zoom out, and you see in the middle of the encampment, the middle part up there is the tabernacle, and the encampment around as they put, pitched their tents where God told them to pitch their tents is in the shape of a cross. The size of the tribe of Judah on the bottom facing east makes that happen. Now imagine the same scene from a nearby mountain, like the moment this father and son are sharing, watching in awe as the cloud of God's presence hovers over the tent of meeting. And oh, if they only knew how what they were witnessing right then would be fulfilled 1,400 years in its, full, in its fullness on the cross of Christ. It's as if God is saying, look, all nations in the world, I want to be with you, and here's how you have access to me through the gospel, the cross of Christ. And so we go proclaim that to the nations and to our neighbors and to ourselves every day. This is why we have access to God, not because of what I have done, because of Jesus. Come to the cross. God is awesome, isn't he? And he's entirely with us through his son, Jesus. That's chapter 26. We proceed to chapter 27 then, which begins with the bronze altar, and we learn more about God and our worship of him. God's presence comes through sacrifice. The bronze altar is where the sacrifices were made every day, every day, every day. They were making animal sacrifices. Every day it showed the people again and again their need of sacrifice because of their sin in order to dwell with God in the presence of God, to be in a relationship with God because the wages of sin is death. Because our sin before a holy God, we deserve death. That should be our death on that altar every time we sin. Every time. But God wants to be with us. And so he provides the sacrifices. In the Old Testament, it the animal sacrifices provide a temporary atonement, a covering of sin. And of course, we know that the animals, all of them that were ever killed for our sins, all pointed to Jesus. They pointed to Christ. Jesus sacrificed himself to provide final, ultimate atonement of all of our sin if we believe and receive him. 
Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 say, say this, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, these high priests are killing animals every day to atone for the people's sins, but he's the high priest. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not the one made with human hands, that is, not of this creation, no, but him, his body, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. If you're new to this Christianity thing and you're, and you're thinking sacrifices, I just don't understand blood, death, I hope it's becoming clear. God is holy. We can't just be in his presence without dying. He provided a way for atonement in the Old Testament and the animals and for all of us now in its fullness in Jesus Christ. He does this because he wants to be with you. That's the sacrifice. Then we go in, chapter 27, verse 9, gets into the courtyard, and this is God's presence guarded. Although God would dwell in the middle of the camp, again, there was only one way in, and his presence was guarded. He made it clear that our sin still separates us from him. We can't just expect everything from God when we're in sin. And so he's right in the middle of the camp, but he stays separate. It's guarded. There's only one way in. And we already talked about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way into the tabernacle. It's through the east gate. And Jesus relates to this when he says in John 10, 9, I am the door. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me. He's the gate. He's the gate. Um, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's picking up with that. That sheep metaphor, we are the sheep, Jesus is the good shepherd, and we come in under all of the security and comfort and peace and blessing and joy and purpose and meaning of being with the shepherd in the gate through Jesus. God's presence is guarded, but it is ours through Jesus. Then in verse 20, we get to the oil for the lamp which shows that God's presence is always there. Let's look at verse 20. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light. Moses is taking notes. Okay, I'm going to need a lot of oil here. Um, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. So it's burning 24-7. It's like, we're going to need a lot of oil. And so we see the ancient olive oil presses and that's how they lit their lamps and cooked and did other things. It was always kept burning to show that God's presence was always there. It's always there. He doesn't leave us. We leave him. How does it point to Christ? Jesus is the God who is always there. He promised this in his great commission to us. Matthew 28, 19 is followed by Verse 20, let's look at those verses. Go therefore, this is our commission from him. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And what's his promise at the end? Behold, I am with you always. God's presence always. Jesus is with us always. We wander from him, but he never leaves us. And he's always ready for you to return. Well, that takes us to verse 28, where we get into the priest's garments in consecration. He's like, all right, Moses, we need to 
get some really fancy duds for our priest. And they need to go through this really extravagant process of consecration of being a holy before they come directly into my presence and do service to me on behalf of the people. Let's look. Verse uh, 2 through 4 in, in chapter 28. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. It gives a purpose there. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill. It takes credit that these people will have the ability to make these clothes and that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Okay? Preparing the priest for holiness. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. And here's a little picture. Each one of these, again, has meaning that we don't have time to get into today. But these ornate and beautiful and costly garments that the priests were decorated in gave them dignity and honor, and, and they led the people into worship with a sense of awe and beauty and glory that God deserves. And then in chapter 29, we see God's lengthy instructions for consecrating the priests, preparing them. If you scan verse, chapter 29, it's, it's a very lengthy ceremony that shows that going into God's presence and doing his work is a very big deal. Chapter 29 describes this incredible ceremonial process where they put all the materials to use. Now, how does that point to Christ? Of course, Jesus made us, and this, much of the New Testament says that we are priests, we are a kingdom of priests, and it's important for us to see these, the majesty of, of that role Ultimately, though, one high priest, we have one high priest, would be perfectly holy and powerful enough to grant all presence in all of us the role of priest, and that's Jesus. Well, that brings us to chapter 30, and the next feature is the altar of incense. What does this teach us? It teaches us, and I love this one, God loves the aroma of our worship. See the word on this. In chapter 30, verses 1 through 10, we have the altar of incense. And then down in verses 22 through 38, the supplies, the oil and the incense that are to burn on those. So I'm going to put those passages together. Here's the altar of incense. It's burning through the middle of the tent, and it fills the whole area with the smell. First of all, if you look at the instructions for the incense, it's very valuable ingredients, and it's unique. You're not supposed to use that blend Anywhere else, God says, this is only for this, and it's to be completely given to God and consumed by fire. And as this burns, it permeates the air. He's using all the senses, and it covers the stench of all the animal sacrifices outside and makes this sweet aroma of God's presence. And here's what it represents. It represents the cleansing of our sin. And it represents the aroma of the smell, the, the enjoyment that God gets from our prayers and praises and worship. The Old Testament says this. The New Testament says this. Here's how it points to Christ, because Jesus is our intercessor. He's the one who makes our prayers go up to God. Without Jesus, we can pray, 
But our prayers don't go higher than that ceiling right there. With Jesus, our prayers and praises and songs are a sweet aroma to God as he cleanses, as a sign of him cleansing us and dwelling with us in his presence. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. After that, he gives instructions for the labor for washing. And here's God's demand for cleansing. We've got to be cleansed to dwell with the holy God, and here's how he makes it possible. The labor is a very large bronze basin for the priest's washing. Let's look, look at the instructions in verse 20, 21. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall first wash with water. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. Yeah, he's, he's pretty serious about this, isn't he? Priests were chosen by God, but they were still sinful people. And so they had to cleanse themselves before dwelling with God. How does that point to Christ? We don't have to wash our hands and feet every time we come in to the church building. I mean, it's still a good practice, but not for this reason. We are cleansed for service to God through Jesus and through his word. Here's one place, John 15, 3 and 4. Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. We enjoy God's presence. We do carry in a lot of filth with us. He cleans it. He washes it away. As we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we dwell with God and he with us. Well, if you're keeping track, we've just finished the ten features that we're going to go through from the tabernacle. And isn't that quick jog through those just enough for us to say, praise God. Can we just say, praise God. Praise God. Did all this for you, and for me, for us together. Now, how does God finish Moses' 40 days on the mountain? The instructions are finished, but let's finish with this point, number three, that worship is empowered by God's Spirit. Now we're talking about the Holy Spirit and completed by rest. We learn from the high priest that we need someone else to represent us before God. And Jesus provides that. Okay, that's someone else he provides. Now we learn from the craftsmen in verse 31 that the Spirit of God enables all of us to serve. Not just the high priest, all of us to serve however he calls us to. Here we go. Verses 1 through 6, chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. So here's God telling Moses this. Moses is like, okay, i got to look up Bezalel, and he's in the camp of Judah. I'm going to find him. Verse 3, because God says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God and with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood to work in every craft. So he just found his foreman who's gifted in all these things. By the Holy Spirit. To do the good works that God has prepared for him. Moses is like, okay, got it. Contact Bezalel. Check. Verse 6, and behold, I have appointed with him a holy ab. Okay, there's another guy. 
the son of Ahisamach, the tribe of Dan. Now I got to go to Dan encampment and find Aholiab. God says, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I've commanded you. Isn't this fun? Got the, whole, got the high priest, but now we have all of us. And God has called us, equipped us, shaped us. That was our last fall's small group and sermon studies. Why am I here? Our shape for ministry. Every single one of us, the spirit of God is in us once we've trusted Christ. He gives us at that moment spiritual gifts to use to build up his church, to further his gospel. It's awesome. There's a place for you and for me in this church. Every single one. Here's what he says. So we serve him as he directs us. And this is the way to joy and fulfillment. This is how God created us chemically. The endorphins that are released when we serve people and build and create and help. And for the church to be healthy and grow, it needs all these roles filled. It needs more laborers, people to care for the hurting, people to care for the facility. People to visit sick and widows to make sure that everybody is being discipled. Everybody is being discipled. That right there includes all of us. To teach the word, to lead worship in every form, to mentor, to tutor, to work in the nursery, to be hospitable to everyone who comes in the door, to bake bread, for bread in the cup, which we're about to have very soon. To lead up front and be behind the scenes. How will you be a spirit-filled, Jesus-following worshiper of God to make an impact in this world? Well, that's the exciting thing for you all to explore and figure out. Some of you are already serving in your sweet spot, right in your wheelhouse. Isn't that fulfilling and joyful? That's great. Not everybody is there. It's a process. It's a holy process. But this is all of us. That's fun. And finally, looking in the text, it closes with the fact that our worship is completed by rest. And this is an important part. This is a holy part of worship, what he says here, but it's also an important message to a lot of us, especially us busy Americans. Kind of busyness is almost an idol, and it's almost unavoidable. Let's look at the text. Chapter 31, verses 12 through 14. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say... Above all, you should keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Many Christians are not worshiping God and enjoying his presence and not resting because there is so much work to do and so much stress in my life, the things to take care of, so many things to worry about. Our stomachs are in knots, and this is this just kills and cripples our dwelling with God, and we need to create space for rest and worship. And the answer is this. It's to worship God and enjoy his presence and draw from him and rest in him. And some of you really need to hear this today. I preach this to myself all the time, and it works. Make time to worship and rest. Make that the priority that God calls for and we'll be healthy. Our next step today is simply this. 
James 4.8 summarizes everything we've talked about today, and this is the point that I, wa- I want you to walk away with, and that is this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's a great illustration about an older couple who have been married for decades, and they've had the same pickup truck, with the old pickup truck with a bench seat. And the husband's been, the husband's been driving this for all those years, and in the first decades of their marriage, he always had his arm wrapped around his wife. Well, over time, his wife said to him, Honey, you never put your arm around me anymore while you drive. And the husband says, You know, I haven't moved. You're the one who's moved farther from me. And that's a picture of our relationship with God. God is there. And he has proved this, and he is always there. Look at the tabernacle. Look at Christ. Now it's simply up to us to come back to him, to stay close to him. And the Bible's filled with ways we can do that. Make that decision today. Yeah, Lord, I want to return to you. Let's pray right now. I'm going to call up the guys to serve the bread and the cup. What a profound opportunity we have to think of all these elements that we just talked about and how they're all fulfilled in Christ and through his sacrifice, his blood that was shed for us, his body that was broken for us. We're going to enjoy partaking in that right now as he commanded us. Let me pray, and then I'll give you some instructions for that. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather. What a holy thing. I just, I just love it every Sunday. Not because anything in this world is perfect, except you And here we are in your presence, worshiping you. And now we're going to follow your instructions and observe the bread and the cup that represent the blood and the flesh that were broken and shed for us so we can be with you. I pray that everybody takes this opportunity to get right back, fully confessed of our sins, fully restored, cleansed from all unrighteousness. We love you and praise you and worship you. And thank you for this opportunity for our church. In Jesus' name, amen.